Hey, welcome back to the SE Podcast. I'm your host, David Hargett, and today we have another very special alumni guest, Michael Blank. His last name escapes me, but I'll go back and look it up and I'll re-record this. How does that sound? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Looking it up now. No, no, looking it up, looking it up. Well, the tricky thing is, his email is just michael at codelabs.com, so that doesn't really doesn't really help me out very much. Let's see if I can get any other information on him. Well, folks, good news. I found the last name. It's Michael Kowalczyk. Kowalczyk. We were just so lost in conversation, I forgot to even ask him his last name. That's entirely my fault. Hopefully this intro is a little bit comedic. You can see backstage what it's like to make a podcast. But now let's get into it. Michael Kowalczyk, he's an incredible guy has a ton of experience leading young entrepreneurs into the space. He's been working at a startup known as Code Labs, which is designing smart buildings in the real estate space. And he has some tremendous advice and thoughts on the future of some big cities of entrepreneurship and where the next frontier will be. So I really hope you enjoyed this interview. Again, that's Michael Kowalczyk. Please enjoy. Well, Michael, thanks for being here with us. We really appreciate you coming in. Thanks, Dave. Happy, happy to be on today. Yeah, it's an honor. It's an honor and privilege to get to hear from, hear from you and hear what you have to say. But just by way of introduction, can you kind of walk us through a little bit about how you're associated with SEPI and your entrepreneurship background? Sure. Um, okay, so my name is Michael. I'm a uh, 2019 U of M alum, SEPI. I joined SEPI, I think, in 2017 where it was really at the whole start of my entrepreneurial career, however you want to frame that. Um, And so just as I was starting to get into entrepreneurship, that really all happened for me at U of M. And then SCPI became my, you know, foundation, my, my friend group um, that really helped me get plugged in with a lot of other programs and communities at U of M from things like Empowered. I was in ELP, I was in these other clubs and, but, but SCI, Pi was really kind of cornerstone for me from a, a social and, and professional perspective. And then, you know, since then, so I graduated in 2019, um, I went on to work at a, a startup called Code Labs. We're a smart building company here, here in Detroit. So I still stay pretty well connected with some of the, the folks at U of M and being from Michigan originally and, you know, continuing to stay here. Um, I tried to to do what I can for people that are, um, you know, in, in our state, in our community, and as well as these clubs at U of M gave me a big, they did a lot for me, so I try to give back to them as well. Absolutely, and we appreciate you that. You're spending time with us here today, right? So you're clearly giving back as part of who you are. Um, so that, that definitely makes a huge difference. And so speaking of giving back, can you walk us through a little bit about what that looks like for you and how you can leverage some of your experiences and, and prior exposures to help the next generation find success like you have? Mm-hmm. So at to kind of zoom out more broadly, like my career trajectory, even going into U of M in the first couple of years there was very research. It was very, very technical kind of um, science, science focused. And then at some point in the middle of, of my third year, and I say I stayed five years. So at some point in my third year, I got involved in entrepreneurship and I felt very kind of grateful to this community at University of Michigan that had welcomed me 
Um, now I got to give a huge shout out to the Entrepreneurs Leadership Program ran by the Center for Entrepreneurship. That was really my introduction. And then through that program, um, I met the, the folks in SDPI um, who helped kind of take me the, the rest of the way. But as someone who, you know, up until that point, it was never, entrepreneurship was never something I was looking at. I never kind of considered that as, as an opportunity for myself. And then to just all of a sudden be really welcomed um, into that community. And so, so that kind of inspired me and I wanted to get, and I, and I extracted an extreme uh, amount of value from that professionally, personally, socially, like across the board. And that really entrepreneurship became a big part of my identity. And so um, that, you know, somewhat motivated me to try to do the same, same thing um, for others. And so within the context of University of Michigan, um, I was involved in things like the Startup Career Fair, which helping to bring companies and businesses from, I primarily focused on the state of Michigan. Because um, I think an experience at a startup um, when you're working cross-functionally with multiple teams, especially when you're early on in your career and like you don't even know which track, you know, how much you want to focus on a particular dis discipline. Um, I think working at a startup when you're a college student uh, exposes you to such a depth and, and range of um, professions that it can really help inform where you want to go later on. And so I was involved in all sorts of programs that were trying to connect students to opportunities uh, while I was in college. And then since I've graduated, uh, working at a startup that's kind of very close to home, my home being Ann Arbor, you know, metaphorically speaking, um, and we've brought, you know, how students, I think SCPI specifically came to Detroit, did some treks, met with our founders, met with some other people. I've helped make introductions to any of these other companies that a few of them students are saying, look, and then I'm, I'm also part of a uh, fellowship called Venture for America that helps college students that when they graduate and kind of find positions at startups in select cities across the world. So like Detroit, Cleveland, Birmingham, Alabama, um, these cities that are maybe not your first choice for entrepreneurial markets, but actually have a lot to offer and actually give a, um, a good opportunity to make an impact on the community within that city. And so, you know, I, I've gone back to U of M and I've gone to some other places to help recruit more fellows into Venture for America, which has been, you know, an amazing program and really helped me um, transition kind of out, out of college as well. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point there. You know, people don't always associate Detroit or Ann Arbor with entrepreneurship. It's not like the high flying Silicon Valley or New York City, but it really is a bustling entrepreneurial ecosystem when you when you really break it, break it down and get to experience it firsthand. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about where you see the future of entrepreneurship going in the Midwest or Detroit and Ann Arbor specifically. Ann Arbor, I'll start with Ann Arbor because it's really interesting. You had a, a, and there's a lot of organizations, programs out there that are trying to create more opportunity in these cities that aren't, you know, Andrew Yang wrote a good book, who also founded Venture for America called Smart People Should Build Things. And his thesis and the reason that he founded Venture for America was really that like 80% of college students from our top universities are going to one of six cities and one of into one of six professions. So it's like LA, San Francisco, New York, um, Chicago, and you know, two other ones. And they're either becoming a doctor, a lawyer, a computer scientist, or um, 
you know, there's an, an, you know, like an accountant or consultant, right? So there's just like these couple very cookie cutter pr professions that have sucked up our best talent for, for decades and decades. And then, so, you know, what does that mean if you're a, uh, you know, smart, talented, ambitious person born in Michigan in some rural county or anywhere in the Midwest, really, it's like that you being one of the most, you know, tra traditionally what you would do is you would stay within your community for the most part, at least uh, a high percentage of those people would. And then you would be the leader in that community who helps, you know, carry that community forward. But with how easy it's been to move and, and to just pursue these other opportunities, we kind of saw this, this, this brain drain um, enlarge, but, you know, I think in each of these core cities, there's been a select group of people to stay behind. And so, and, but, you know, contrary to that, you have like Ann Arbor with the University of Michigan, which is a real talent, um, you know, destination. So the big industry that's popped off in Ann Arbor is actually cybersecurity. And right, we saw, Duo. yeah, exactly. Duo securities. And what's really interesting. So if you look at a program like Venture for America, there's also Rise of the Rest. These people that have studied um, and Endeavor, Endeavor Global, they've studied the impacts of entrepreneurialism on communities. And when you see a company that has a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar exit, um, it's not just like, that's just the surface level effect. What then happens is you put millions and tens of millions of dollars into the hands of the employees, the team members who built that company. And there's going to be a percentage of those people that are now, you know, well-equipped financially. They still have the drive, hunger, and ambition to do it again. And they've built really good bonds, expertise, and knowledge in that community. And so you actually see this, this second order effect of a new wave of startups being, being founded. And so I think right now in Ann Arbor, there's, you know, there's Blue Mira, which is a cybersecurity company. There's um, census. And then there's a couple others. And so now that are all um, growing really fast in Detroit. Um, Detroit is an, an interesting place because you see everything from like your cornerstone small businesses all the way to your, your billion dollar, um, you know, big, bold companies like Quicken Loans, Rocket Mortgage, um, and some of these others. And then StockX is another one. I think that just me zooming out and, and playing around with some ideas in my head. I think Detroit has an opportunity to be like a, a and maybe I'm biased, but like a smart building uh, IoT hub. And that's because when you're doing like smart city projects, the number of stakeholders, for example, if I wanted to implement, let's just make a little fake example, like a smart street, right? And I need uh, to coordinate with building owners and coordinate with the city and, you know, some sort of transportation company, like in Detroit, there's like three or four stakeholders and you can set up a really kind of a large scale project to, to implement and test out and iterate on, on a new technology solution. So that's what Ford is trying to do in Corktown. You see some of this stuff happening in downtown as well. Um, but if you try to implement that same solution in New York or something, there's like many, many different building owners. There's a lot of different just players in the market. And so your ability to even try to do, like it's almost too hard to do those sorts of things. So, I, I, I mean, there is a lot of uh, technical talent in Detroit. Um, I'm excited for where it's going. It's interesting with all this COVID work from anywhere, work from home is totally changing the game of access to, um, you know, talent globally and, and, and what it means to be a distributed workforce. So, It'll be interesting to see how that pit evolves for 
places that are not those, you know, top tier big six cities that have traditionally been accessing all, all the talent. Right. Absolutely. And I think that was where I was going to go next with the point, but you, you jumped the gun. You read my mind, Michael, <laughs> with this whole, this whole wave of virtual work. I think, and, and we had a speaker come in to talk to us in SCPI about how cities like Detroit and Chicago in the Midwest will really be the next frontier in entrepreneurship because you're not going to have to pay those excessive, exorbitant, high cost of living while still maintaining such a community feel and building out this next great wave of uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. So, I mean, you kind of touched on that already, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Have you been impacted at all by this, you know, with the work from home environment with your Venture for America or Code Labs? And, and do you see that being a real possibility where we stay virtual and, and these new hubs of entrepreneurship really explode? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it'll probably be like, uh, just, just my own personal perspective, it'll uh, evolve into some sort of like hub-based model. Um, I think there's people will still want to work in person um, with other, other human beings. Um, but I think we'll see a little bit more like the centralized kind of pockets where, um, and, and for Code Labs in particular, the majority of our team is actually in Europe. And so we have a, a you know, Detroit office, then we have a European office uh, in, in Kosovo. And so, and, and that works really well for us where this team here is focused on a particular, like this is where our business and um, kind of like deployment and, and project implementations are, and then our technology and software happens in, in Kosovo. And I think that model works really well for us because we can each stay focused and the information needs to be shared. Um, but then I think we also benefit extremely from being in the office together because we have a small team here and we can be pretty right. safe about how we, how we do things. I, I don't see that going away. And so I see a lot of other companies like rather than having one central headquarters with you know thousands of people there, there's probably going to have a lot more distributed pockets of oh, we have 20 team members in Detroit, in Detroit, for example, like let's get them a little office, give them a space where they can go in and, and generally be more open about, hey, you guys can, your team can continue to operate out of where you want to live. Um, and we're not going to ask you to move and in, in, into a new place. I think, yes, people will tend to, to migrate um, away from these, these hyper dense um, pockets because you know, you get a, a um, high cost of living and these other things. It's not clear yet exactly where, how, how that will be redistributed, um, which I think is really interesting. And then the other part of it is like, what we've seen is that it's, uh, and you see this all over the place, it's called like a Pareto distribution or um, the 80-20 rule. There's a bunch of different names for it, is that there's typically like one, one or a couple of really big winners that get 20% of the market attracts 80% of the market. And so when you actually think about like, if you're trying to ask the question of how do we attract more people to the city of Detroit, uh, one of the, the biggest ways to do that is to have like a really big win. And by that, I mean, so I could think, of, and I think it particularly needs to be a consumer facing company because that's where you get attention. Duo Security is an amazing company, multi-billion dollar exit, but it's B2B. And unless you're you know, forced to use their app, you, you probably don't know that they exist. But uh, one reason I'm really excited about a company like StockX is that it is consumer facing and all these other consumer facing companies that we know, Amazon, Uber, Microsoft, Apple, whoever, and those are all tech companies, but we know them because we're consumers. And so if you can have 
a really large company that's consumer facing, that's what's going to draw attention and eyeballs from people you know, across the world to want to come to work for that company. And now the question becomes, does that company still prioritize a, a city like bringing people into, into their city in order to do that? I think there are some competitive advantages of having people together, particularly when you're uh, uh, small. Um, but then at, at scale, I think it'll probably evolve into more of a, a hub hub-based model where they're setting up campuses for your teams um, as they tend to more naturally be distributed. Right. I think that hub and spoke model will certainly find prevalence in the coming coming months and years. But I'm curious, in your experience, you know, working with the European office versus here in Michigan, how does company culture kind of transfer across those hubs? Do you think it'll be difficult to maintain an overarching sense of purpose and mission and alignment there because you're all working in different locations with your own sort of individualized hubs or do you think it's relatively easy to maintain that mm -hmm. yeah the the i mean i think culture is easy when you're small it's not easy but it's it's a lot easier when you're smaller and as you scale it's actually a, a challenge to scale up your culture as well and i think the best example i've ever seen of a company doing this is uh quick and loans and the ways that they, because they have team members distributed all, and they've been a big inspiration for us. They're like, you know, this big giant company here in Detroit. Um, they have what they call their isms, and they, you know, once a year they do an isms day to to share, you know, here's the core values of the company, here's what we're aiming at, and then what they do as well is like they've made those isms so approachable that they've embedded them into the everyday language of, of their team members and constantly, you know, reinforcing that. And so I think like thinking about what they've done, like the key to culture at scale is to have something written down that's simple and approachable. And then it's constantly re being reinforced, not by, uh, by everybody from, from leadership to your, your newest team members. You'll notice that like i only like I just refer to people as team members uh, rather than employees. That's something that's part of our um, culture. And um, I think the key, the key is like to make those core values like use, useful to actually have them deliver a, a purpose for your company. And then um, to recognize them when people do things aligned with those and to, to really try to align your core values with things that you think are going to make the company successful. And so we, we see this uh, spread between our two offices, even though we're six hours apart and, um, you know, only a couple of times we, uh, we will, we'll, we'll spend time there. We'll send people here, but yet when we're doing like all team calls or we're doing these other things, you see that that culture kind of, stands out right away because we've taken effort to kind of simplify and make these things approachable and to share the meaning behind them with the, with the entire team. And I think companies that do that, if they struggle to do that, to communicate their core values in a way that, um, Hey, I'm new, I'm working from home and I've never met anybody. And then like, you've told me that there's these, there's this mission and these things that we're aiming at, but it doesn't show up ever my day to day. I think if you don't have it, written down and you don't have it worked into your your process and into your way of thinking uh that's going to be a challenge for for a lot of companies for sure definitely i think codifying it and making it embedded into every aspect mm -hmm. of the work experience is something that's so critical because 
culture is one of those things that's such a competitive advantage because it's it's impossible to replicate. It really is for a lot of for a lot of companies. And so being able to maintain that despite the time differences or despite the location differences is a big accomplishment. So diving a little bit more about Code Labs and your own team culture and just give us a brief overview. First of all, what what your mission is and what that culture looks like. Yeah, so our mission is to kind of develop the most simple and easy to use real estate technology products. And I say products because while we are focused on our core, we've taken it like almost like a Palantir-based approach to the way that we've developed our our software. So, which is interesting for, for a startup to work that way. We haven't raised any venture capital and yet, you know, we're growing really well and we're kind of locking down some of the, the biggest real estate portfolios in the world. Um, and the way that we've done that is almost this project-based model where we have our core platform, which is a smart building operating system. Um, if you think about a building inside of it, it has your heating, cooling, lighting, electrical. It might have things like occupancy sensing. It might have uh, indoor air quality sensors, all these other technologies. And the challenge that this industry as a whole faces is that every one of those things exists in a silo. And so uh, maybe the, the consumer facing analogy is like, if you had a dedicated smartphone for each of your social media apps, and so you had six smartphones, and this is your Facebook smartphone, and that's your Twitter or whatever else, like this is the world of building operations where if I want to control my HVAC. I have to go into a very unique specific application and it has a complete look different feel and like everything about it is different than, you know, my lighting. But in reality, it's all one building. It's all like one thing that I'm trying to control. And so what we do is we, we take those, you know, six, 10, 15 different applications and we provide a, you know, the single pane of glass operating system for, for people to, to control those. And so, and we're, you know, an enterprise software as a service company. So we'll go into a large portfolio, we'll take over one or two of their buildings. One of the things we kind of specialize in or excel in is actually in um, developing like the, the, the smarts and the technology for like flagship buildings in a portfolio. And so this is where we're seeing how we're getting our foot in the door is that there's some team um, that uh, or some real estate owner is really excited about a particular property. Maybe they've attracted a large tech company as a client and that tech company just wants everything that they can for, for technology in there. And so now this real estate owner is like, okay, how do we deliver on that? What's the most smarts that we could do? And then how do we actually, okay, maybe it's not that hard to like dream up a plan of, yeah, we're going to do all these things and then to actually operationally enable it, uh, that, that is a little bit more challenging. And so what we're seeing a lot of success in is digitally enabling those systems, going into those projects, taking on a portfolio, winning that portfolio's trust and confidence, and also them liking our solution and saying, okay, you did like the hardest thing that we could think of. How about all these other easy, smaller buildings that, you know, can we, can we pull those onto your platform as well? And, you know, of course. So that's, that's kind of, you know, and then our, 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 to tie it back to our mission, like to digitally enable this entire real estate asset class that is very like out, outdated, right? So we're trying to bring the way buildings are operated, the way that they are, they consume energy, 
uh, and the technology and the experiences in them. We're trying to bring those into the 21st century. And so, um, and, and just because we were talking, touching on culture and core values, one of the core values that we have, it's one of my favorites, is deliver the wow. And this is like something that. you see live uh, at every level of our company, whether it's, you know, you're, you're, you're writing an email, you're generating a report. And I think it's very important as well for a startup. Okay, I have this thing that I'm doing and I can just do it. And, you know, I can just type up a summary of what I did, or I can try to deliver the wow and actually develop something that's so impressive that actually raises the bar and sets the standard for okay, the next time we're reporting on this particular aspect or the next time we are, um, you know, having this particular type of meeting where with an IoT vendor and they need to know their deliverables, like we've actually raised the bar for how we interact with, with this person. And our internal team says, wow, the external client is like, wow. Like, and, and so to me, that's one of my favorite values. And it's one of the, uh, I, I love, putting people into that state of mind where they're just pressed um, with what they've seen. And I love seeing that from my team as well. Like when they take something and run with it and they come back with something and it makes you say, wow, like, man, it gets, it gets everybody pumped up. So I, I think that's one of, one of my favorite things about our, our culture. Well, Michael, you're certainly delivering the wow with this podcast. <laughs> so we, we appreciate that. I think that's a, a terrific core value to have. And just as we kind of reach the end of time here and wrap up, I'd love to hear any lasting thoughts that you have on either working with a startup, how you break into this space, or just advice at all for young entrepreneurs. Because again, you do have such a wealth of experience. We'd love to hear any of your key takeaways there. Yeah, so the, 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 my advice to anybody who wants to work at a startup, smart startups are small, why I think this is something you should do, and maybe how I would approach it. Um, startups are generally small teams where the human beings behind them get to know each other very, very well, very intimately. And um, as a young person, um, that's, you know, there's all this talk of like trying to find a mentor, trying to find someone to help guide you. Uh, if you can find a team that has good leadership, kind of good core values, uh, I, I don't think it matters at all what type of role you, you take in that company. If you want to be a computer scientist or if you want to be, and, and marketing or whatever else. And this, that the role piece is probably more uh, applicable for like a, a full-time hire, but even an internship, like I think there's an immense amount of value in finding a startup with good human beings and then taking an internship or a role at that company. Um, and if you're a little bit flexible, like in that, that role is not that important to you, what's gonna happen over time is that these people are going to see you as a person. They're going to try to understand your interests. They're going to, nobody that we bring into our company. Yes, we might have a particular like job and set of tasks that we want them to deliver on. But then at the same time, we're trying to find out like, all right, what is it that you're trying to learn from you here from, from us while you're here, both like as far as your, you know, technical and specialized knowledge pursuits, but also like, what do you want to learn about business? What do you want to learn about these, these other things that you have going on? And we try to do as much as we can to help put that person on a good path, whether they stay with our company or not. Like, I think we want everybody who comes and works for us when they, when they leave or when they stay to, you know, really feel like it was an incredibly valuable experience. And I think 
because I think that pays dividends to startups. And so I think the, the opportunity to go in a startup, be flexible with your role, ask questions and learn, and people will throw different opportunities at you to get engaged in the marketing team, in the data science team, to help out with whatever, because the, the an interns, one of the interns' best qualities is that they are flexible and that they have time. If I need help with something and this person is like interested and curious to take it on, I'm going to give them an opportunity and then also try to make sure that they learn as much as they possibly can with their interests because a lot of things are just a mindset. If you want to learn product management, it's like, okay, we're you know building out this specification. What are the core things you should be thinking from a product management perspective when you're doing this? Like I can help them think through that. Even though this they're not delivering a product, they can get a lot of takeaways in that regard. So I would say my advice would be to go work at a startup, try to really find out like good people, good culture, good leaders, because that's what they're going to invest in you as a human. Be flexible with your, with your role because you have so much time in your life to figure things out and you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, be willing, be willing to learn. And then I, I think if you do those things that the, the experience will, will be worth it. Absolutely. I think those are all terrific points, right? You're just trying to get in there, learn as much as you can, be a little sponge and just yeah. soak up information and really finding a group that has people that will buy in and support you in anything, an internship, a job, wherever you're going, people are what's driving innovation, people are what are driving business. And so that's really the, of the utmost importance in any, any venture that you pursue. So perfect closing advice, Michael. I, I really appreciate you coming on, delivering all your thoughts on the future of entrepreneurship, your experience with Code Labs, and also your time at Michigan with, with SEPI. So thanks again for being here, and hopefully we can have you back soon. Yep. Thank you, Dave.